0: Francois, thanks for joining the call. How are you doing this morning?
1: I'm um, well, thank you, Lee. Thank you for inviting me. That's lovely to talk to you as usual.
0: So I look forward to, to this um, conversation with you. Interesting topic I want to explore with you today. and I know you've got a lot of expertise in this area, which is why I really wanted to talk to you. Uh, the, a lot of people working out of their own home environment now, whether that's in the, in the house, off the kitchen table, or if they've got some spare rooms, spare office space, uh, the working conditions are very different than they might be if you're going into an office every day. And I've got a number of clients who are wondering about how do we, how do we help people maintain their productivity Um maintain a sense of purpose and meaning and connection and all of that stuff. What I really want to focus on mm-hmm. in this conversation is, you know, to just picture that person at whatever level working at home with the distractions, with uh, with, not not necessarily a nice quiet space, with things going on around them. What help can we offer those people to maintain a high level of productivity and be effective in that environment that's the question that i want to explore with mm. you. so um what would you say first thing that comes to mind when i present that context? yeah
1: <laughs> i say um i say uh, welcome to the the world of working from home to to a degree everybody's in the same boat so you know, there's there's also a sense of a a bit of self compassion, perhaps first, realizing that everybody's in that same boat. We're all struggling. Um, it's all it's difficult for all of us. We because we have to uh, create the environment much more than we had to when we go to the office. The environment is created for us, whether we like it or not. And and it we come every day, and it's the same thing. From home, it's a different thing. We have to to create it deliberately. Um, perhaps the, 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 the second thing is that it does offer some, some great opportunities as well to design our own workspace and our own work schedule. And, and schedule is a critically important thing. We, um, we, 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 uh, the hours of the day are not equal. Uh, we, there, there's a number of things I, I'll get into a bit more later. Uh, but, But choosing when to do what type of work is A, critically important and B, perhaps even easier when you're at home because you can decide to a degree when you do what sort of work. So I would say that, yes, it presents some challenges undoubtedly, but it also presents some opportunities to shape our work in a more personalized kind of a way.
0: This is why I love you Francois you're such an optimist there's always a silver lining <laughs> to every cloud right so we talked a little about this earlier and you mentioned that there's two core parts that that you'd like to talk about and you think are important here one being motivation and all that goes with that that self motivation because we're not you know people aren't necessarily breathing down our necks so or walking past and looking mm-hmm. at our monitors anymore so we can maybe get away with more than we could before. And I know from my experience of working from home, I get a lot of energy from other people. So getting that motivation to really fly myself up and be productive has been quite difficult at times. So there's an area around motivation that we'd like to explore with you. And the other one you said was organization. How do you organize yourself? And Clearly, both of those things will play together. So one will influence the other and so on. Okay. But maybe if we break it down, which would you like to talk about first?
1: I think motivation is probably at the at the core of things to a degree. Um, and, and by motivation, I have a sort of a broader sense of motivation, which is what enables you to do the, the, the stuff that you do. Uh, and, and there's a number of things. Um, but perhaps the, 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 one of the most important things is to recognize, again, that we, th- there are some natural ebbs and flows to our psychological states. Um, we're, we're, for most of us, the day has a certain rhythm. Um, and if we try to do certain things when it's the wrong time of the day, it's going to be very hard. And what we have to realize is that willpower is a very limited resource. Uh, We can't count on willpower all the time. And so if we make things easy for us, it it will in fact be easier. If we make it hard to the point that we have to rely on willpower uh sooner in the day this is going to wane, and we're not going to find ourselves motivated to do the stuff that we know is on our to-do list
0: okay so the first thing then is that recognizing that there is a natural rhythm and there'll be certain parts of the day where my energy levels are such that a particular type of task i'm going to find a lot easier and be more productive on than another type of task is that what we're talking about
1: Exactly right. And also just the first thing, which is to recognize that my ability to make an effort of will to do something that I don't want to do intrinsically is going to be a whole lot easier if I choose the right task to the right moment of the day.
0: Okay, so let's try and make this real. All right. I drag myself out of bed. In the morning, and I'm you know that I've got the kids getting them to school. One of the things that happens to me, I'm really effective if I get up early, get out the door. I don't have to deal with any of that kid stuff, right? And I just get on with my day. And when I when that happens, my engine's running usually with involving exercise early, and things seem to flow. In this environment, it's really, really interesting for me when I've the the morning is a bit slower not because in a work context because there's the kids there's there's things happening around breakfast they're there so i feel a little a little worse you know before leaving for the office wasn't too bad but leaving to the back room feels a little more uh i don't know rude or something like it an un- unhelpful so i find myself not starting quickly number one in my in my day so then the kids will be off to school it's nine o'clock quarter past nine and i'm kind of already a bit oh i i just don't really want to face what i've got to face this morning what do you say to me what do i need to do francois
1: so i think again the first thing is to recognize that this is my life at the moment and and it's not that i'm um You know, I'm being pushed away from uh, the ideal world, which would get the best out of me. That's what you have, and you have to again exert a bit of self-compassion. Recognise that this is my lot in life at the moment. So I'm going to do the best I can with what I've got, and and that is what I've got. I I I can't start before nine thirty. I would prefer to start at seven. That's not going to be available because I want to look after my children. And I'm really happy doing that. And I'm, that gives me an opportunity to be a good father, um, demonstrate my love for them, support them. And, and that can actually be a really happy way to start my day. I get to uh, demonstrate my love for my children, support them, take them to school. And then I can come back, not frustrated because something has gotten in my way, but very happy that I was mm-hmm. able to, in fact, demonstrate uh, my, my, my love for my children in a very practical manner.
0: So what I'm hearing you tell me here, then, is my attitude towards the circumstances I'm in is actually already draining my energy to some extent. Absolutely. So whatever it is, whether it's the father in my situation or the, the busyness of the mom who's being called upon more because she's at home and, and you know, not invisible in the office because she's there, then people are going to call on mom. Right. So whatever the situation I find myself in, what you're suggesting in terms of motivation and energy is step one, don't fight it. Accept the reality of that situation and try, even maybe, to see some of the the uh, the value in it. Maybe mm. as tough as that might yeah. be, I sound, I sound terrible. Like I don't want to spend time with my kids. That's not true. But it's it's um, I do I do get into a bit of a negative mindset around. Oh, it's half nine and I haven't even started.
1: Yeah,
0: it's not. I don't want to spend time with my yeah. kids. It's just that.
1: Yeah. yeah. And then that's when a bit of organization perhaps kicks in as well. And there's organization at perhaps two level. One is, how do you want to structure your day? Because it may very well be that you're going to be able to use a lot more of your evening, as opposed to your morning, because then your kids will be having dinner, perhaps with your partner, and then they'll go to bed and maybe you'll have some more time. And then, then there's a whole lot about how your energy ebbs and flows during the day. And I'm going to say something that's perhaps a bit controversial, but there's, there's a lot of science around napping in the afternoon and, and a 10 to 20 minutes nap in the afternoon is actually an incredible booster of energy for adults, not just for children who need to have a nap. So, so, there's an opportunity, again, to design the structure of your day. You're at home. So as much as you can agree with your boss and so on that certain times of the day are going to be more accessible than others, you can use the, the, the time from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. to do some stuff that's really important, that's going to require you to be focused and all that sort of stuff because the kids will be in bed. You won't be distracted. Yeah. So again, macro opportunity to shape the day so that you can do your stuff
0: yeah um
1: maybe i'm not the laughing, second... be- I'm no, laughing
0: because the the napping um uh, thing for me uh, my wife would not be happy with me taking a nap in the in the middle of the afternoon so there'd be some negotiation required if i was to take that one on
1: Yeah. And maybe the appropriate thing to do is actually pull the science that shows that 10 to 20 minutes, we're not talking about two hours here, especially not with a bottle of beer or something like that. We're talking about a power nap. Uh, And in fact, people recommend to have a cup of coffee just before you nap because caffeine takes about 25 minutes to hit your system. And so if you take a, a cup of coffee at you know, two in the afternoon um, and then you, you nap, it, it's going to take you five minutes to actually start sleeping, which is not really sleeping. And yeah. 25 minutes later, that caffeine is going to hit your system and wake you up anyway. Uh, and you will then have much more cognitive resources and so on, which means that what you would have been really slow doing, sluggish, you know, I'm half tired, I have to, I have to fight it. A lot more well again go with the flow take the 10 20 minute snap and then you hit that uh, you will be way faster you'll make many less errors um and and ultimately you'll be way more effective at doing something like that
0: you just reminded me of a period in my life where i there was a gym in the office where i worked and um so it took no time at all to get there and i I'm someone who, if there's a nap gonna happen, it's gonna happen at about now, 3:30 in the afternoon, mm-hmm. right? So if I fall asleep mid-sentence here, you know why. But in that, in that period of time, so I'm pretty I am it's like wading through mud at this time for me. Um, usually if I'm doing work on my own in a conversation like this, it's fine, right? I get energy from this. But if I'm trying to do thinking work at, at this time, really difficult. So mm-hmm. um I used to go and do my exercise at that time back in yeah. back in that, that, that period of time because there was a lot of flexibility. And so in that period of, of the day where I'd be in a normal slump, I would actually go and have a run on the treadmill or something like that, come back quarter past four, 4.30, and like you say, be completely refreshed and energized to, yeah. to get into that work. So I think the... So, tip number one, I guess is recognize what the ebbs and flows are and try to design your activity to match those ebbs and flows yeah
1: yeah okay. and there's there's again a lot of science to that, but for a typical person who who you know about seventy percent of the population are following that category we we tend to be slightly more mourning. And and what that means is that the first part of the day until about seven hours after we wake up, that's best. So there's a kind of a, um, you know, a a high, a trough, and a sort of a recovery period later in the day. And when when we've got the high, that's really good for cognitively intense tasks, analytical tasks, stuff that requires focus, Stuff that requires to be uh, especially vigilance. That's that's when we're best at that. Uh, Also, our mood generally tends to be high in that first part of the day. So when we have mood and vigilance, that's great for analytical work. Then we get to the trough of the day. So about six, seven, eight hours after we wake up, there's a trough. You know, between two, two and four roughly, and that's when both our mood and our vigilance go down and that's when to do your admin the stuff that doesn't require to be fully present there you can do the stuff that doesn't require a whole lot of focus it's a bit repetitive and so on as well that's that's a good time in the day to do that but then we recover as the day unfolds and so at about you know four five we start being in a space where our vigilance isn't super high, but our mood is high. And that's a good time to do work that is more creative, more insightful, more brainstorming type stuff. So for example, if you're going to have meetings and stuff like that, the morning is not a good time because you're using high quality, cognitive intensity time when, when you're not ideally placed to interact with others, you're much better off doing that at the later part of the day when you are more in a brainstorming mode, you're in a better mood and all that sort of stuff.
0: That's really interesting that you say that. You know, To my point earlier, I'm fine in this conversation with another human being in an interaction and a collaborative dialogue at 3.30 in the mm. afternoon rather than trying to do some... Thinking work right now would be very very difficult for me. So that idea of if you can structure meetings at, at later in the day, I've never really thought of that before. Now the immediate, I'm going to play devil's advocate. I'm going to be I'm going to be a difficult participant in one of our leadership programs, Francois. Okay, and I'm going to start throwing some challenges your way and see see how you can dodge and weave and uh, and hit me back. So the thing that comes to mind around this, the first thing that people might say is, "Ah, oh, I've got no control over my day. I get emails from my boss. I get meeting invites. Nobody asks me when I can, you know, when is a good time for me to meet. I just have to be there and I have to respond to these emails and I have to be available all the time, no matter what time of day it is. What do we say to that? Um
1: I don't know, but you know, maybe pull a bit of science, and 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 ask your boss. You know, what are you trying to achieve? Uh, why is that important? Connect to their agenda, um, and then and then once they've, well, once they have the conviction that you're there to support them, and you want to do everything you can, then they might be a bit more ready to hear about your constraints. And to, you know, if you ask them, look, I'm I'm happy to do that, but I would prefer to do it then because I'm just a lot more alert, I'm a lot more effective, uh, I will produce much higher quality work. Well, that might get their interest. Um, So so perhaps recognize that your boss has work to do as well. He's got a boss as well, or she's got a boss who's asking them uh, perhaps unreasonable uh, things too. So again, a bit of compassion. And again, building trust, you may start relatively low. But if you ask for a simple favor, in terms of a time to deliver something or do something that works for you, and you deliver it on time and so on, well, that in, that will encourage them to trust you next time you make a request of that nature.
0: Yeah, nice. So if I have negotiated a Different times. So, say you're my boss and you you bang an email out to me and says, "Hey, I need this thing by four o'clock," and it's ten o'clock in the morning or eleven o'clock in the morning, starting to move past my best uh, highest level of capability for that kind of task. Then I might say, uh, "Okay, would would it be okay if I got that to you by midday tomorrow?" As an That's example. That's right. And I'll plan to do it tomorrow morning. Um, you may or may not decide to to reveal why you're making that request. I'm, I'm guessing, but I guess it depends on your, ne- your relationship with your boss. You don't necessarily, um, uh, I assume, have to get into a conversation about my energy rhythms throughout the day. You could just at, at least try to negotiate that, knowing yourself that you're probably going to do a better job of that in the morning than you will in the afternoon.
1: That's right. And there's also another uh, principle at work there is that people almost um, unconsciously factor in delays and and buffer time. So because we assume that everybody's going to be late and ineffective and so on, your boss might request it for 4 p.m. today. They don't need it until midday tomorrow, really, Mm. but they're actually putting some fat into that that deadline because they want to cover their backside. Now, if you're proving to be a really reliable person and if you say to them, you will have it on your desk by midday and it's on their desk again and again and again, well, they have then no reason to add that extra time so you can do something with that extra time rather than you know, delivering on time at 4 p.m. and the thing sitting on a desk for literally almost 24 hours without being used. Yeah. So again, some, some relational work, some reliability, um, some trust that, that, that can be really, really nice. useful.
0: So we're dancing around a few, a few things here. So I just want to quickly summarize and come back to motivation. So one of the things you talked about is being conscious of the rhythm of, of your energy level, your your attention and trying to as far as you possibly can you can't have complete control but as far as you can match the kind of work to the energy level and the 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 capacity at that time of day we've also talked about my attitude towards the circumstances and how i'm actually draining some productive energy by being a bit you know, um, down on the fact that I haven't yet started. So trying mm. to shift my mental state around that and my attitude towards that and to say, okay, now I've had a good morning doing what I need to do in my duty as a father or a mother or whatever. And now I'm going to get into this and it's going to be a focused morning and so on. So to click in that switch. Mm. We've talked a little bit about organization Um, and the start of getting better organized being about negotiating a bit more with work requests, so asking questions. Do you you need that by this time? Um, Could that be later? Um, What is it you need? Do you need the whole thing or do you need part of the thing? So we talk a lot about that on some of the leadership programs, but the principle of negotiating scope, negotiating timelines maybe, um, negotiating who actually does it—is there somebody else that you could delegate to? Things like that. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to motivation, then. So, w- what else would you would you want to communicate around motivation?
1: So, there's there's a couple of things. Um, again, that that in in motivation research, there is a, a piece of work that that's quite universally. Um, accepted which is called the self-determination theory and what it says is that for people to be motivated they need three things in essence they need a level of autonomy in other words they need to uh, be left to their own devices to decide how they're going to do um, what they're being asked to do so micromanagement removes that autonomy and that's not good for motivation. Uh, So if you're a manager, it's good to know that the more you tend to tell people how to do things, the the less motivated they will be. And if you have a micromanager, it might be useful at some point to uh, push back a little bit and and negotiate with them the ways in which they will interact with your work so that you you have a level of autonomy in what you're doing. Another, another motivational factor is a sense of mastery or competence. So I know how to do this. I can do this. I, I'm, I'm capable. I'm competent. I can do that. That that's an important one. And uh, if you don't feel like you can, it's too difficult or it's out of your uh, area of competence or stuff like that, you will get stress and you, you won't be as effective as you can be. Um, so we d- we'll drill down into this one a bit later. But the third one is perhaps the most important. It's, it's what we would call a sense of purpose, or at least clarity on the objectives. What are you trying to achieve? Why is that important? Uh, why is that important to you? Why is that important to your organization? And that that kind of ties in really nicely with the, the organization side of things because you can start the day being really clear. What is the most important thing I have to do today? What is my most important objective? What do I really need to deliver to do my job properly? Um, to, to discharge my role effectively. So that sense of... Um, of a purpose, of a connectedness to the objectives of the organization, that that sense of being clear on what I want to achieve, that's a really important thing for your own motivation. Because if you're not clear, you, you'll do whatever comes to you. You'll do whatever's in front of you. Whereas if you do spend a few minutes to actually clarify every day what's important to me how am I going to do that, that? That will You will gain some motivational energy out of that.
0: There's something in, in that that I started to think about around prioritizing as well. So this sense that the work is always coming your way. It's never done, right? The emails are filling up. The work requests, the demands on your time, it's constantly coming our way. And what I'm hearing you say in that, being really clear about the outcomes that you need to achieve today, what I would add to that is being really clear about the most important ones, that That you will, that you 'll feel satisfaction if you 've done those today, recognizing that you will have many many more to do mm. so unless you 're clear about the things that today are the most important things to get done, it will always feel like i 'm overwhelmed i 'm never finished i 'm never finished mm. I remember. I went to South America many years ago and we went down a silver mine to see. And I remember a distinct image of this guy whose job it was every day. He came, they, they blew the dynamite in the nighttime. They all go in in the morning. His job was to be right at the pick face in front of a massive wall of rock that he would shovel into a mm. bucket that would get winched up. That would be his whole day. The next day, dynamite goes off, he goes in, there's another massive wall of rock, right? And I think, I remember looking at thinking, wow, I'm never going to complain about my working life again. That is such a, a metaphor for this kind of daily wading mm-hmm. through task after task after task after task. And the wall of rock never goes away, right? What do we do with that? I think what you've highlighted there around, I will be severely demotivated if all i'm looking at every day is a big pile of rock but if i'm looking at that and i'm thinking okay that rock there that one there and that one there they are the most important ones that i need to complete today and if i complete those i'm going to be satisfied and happy the others can wait
1: yeah and and perhaps in addition to that there's a a a technique that athletes use, especially long distance running athletes, people who do the, the ultra marathon, they have to run for like 30 hours in a row and all that sort of stuff, or the long distance swimmers or the mountain climbers and people like that. They, they look at a very thin chunk of time ahead of them. They don't look at the big thing. Like in your example, you don't look at the wall of rock, you look at the bucket in front of you. Mm. The one bucket, I'm going to get this one bucket up. All right, up, right, next bucket up. And then they ask themselves, Can I take the next step or can I take the next stroke if they're a swimmer? And if yes, they do it. And if no, they rest. And but it never goes any further than one stroke, one step. You know, one minute or two minutes of of or or a you know a a rev of their their pedals if they're on a bike, or and I think we can apply that to our task. You know, I'll do that one more uh, Excel sort of line, or I'll do that one more paragraph of a report that I have to write, or I'll do that one more email, or I'll make that one phone yeah. call I need to make. So, so that's a technique to manage your energy as well, which is a part of your motivation. Uh, just one more. And then you can decide that's all I'll do. I, I will never look any further than that because oftentimes what happens is we get demotivated by exactly what you described, looking at the mass of stuff that's in front of us. That seems like it's never ending. If we look at the one thing that's in front of us, we, we lose that kind of overwhelming effect.
0: Yeah. I'm just going to hit the pause button for a second. I'm recording again. Great. Thanks, Francois. Let's move now on to exploring the organizations. We've covered motivation quite a bit there. Let's talk a bit more about organization. What mm. recommendations do we have there?
1: So I would say the first thing is to have really great clarity on priorities because at the end of the day, not all tasks are born equal and not all work contributes equally to the important things you have to achieve, whether it's in your personal life or in your professional life or in a given role or on a given day or in a given project, which is why it's super important to have really clear views of what am I going to achieve today? Why is it important? And to be able to address the things you have to do in order of priority. Um, and that order is, you know, number one, what's important? What are, what are the most important things? Uh, number two, what's urgent? In other words, what, is there something that somebody needs right now? Uh, because you, you, that will determine what you what you address. But then number three, which is what people very seldom uh, actually consider, is what is painful or what is effortful, what is going to require willpower from me because it's hard to do. And so once you've got, if you have a to-do list, you've highlighted what's important, you know, and you've ranked those things, then the second thing to do is go, right, okay, what is amongst those important things, what are the most effortful ones? And then that gets an extra tick or an extra thing. And then third, what are the most urgent ones? Um, And then once you do that, it's a matter of discipline to to do them in order of the priority that you've given them. Uh, And that is critical because at the end of the day, you can always get a sense of satisfaction that you've addressed some of your priorities, even if you haven't completely finished at least you've, you've done, in theory, the most important thing you had to do that day. And therefore, you can get some level of satisfaction. There is nothing more frustrating than feeling you've run all day, doing bits and pieces here and there that in the grand scheme of things are not super yeah. important.
0: Yeah. A lot of our time, I think a lot of the people listening to this would, would have that experience, you know, at, at any level. The effortful bit, so I wouldn't mind you drilling into that a little bit more. How does effortful factor into my prioritization decision?
1: Well, because you, you you need to do two things with those things. Number one, recognize that they will need to be scheduled potentially at a time of the day that is suitable to that effort. Mm-hmm. Um, if it requires intense focus, uninterrupted time and so on, you have to schedule it at a moment in your day, when you're not going to be interrupted. Um, And and, and that's an important thing. Or if it's a more creative, it has to be with other people and so on. Again, it will have to be scheduled at a time in the day when those things will be available. Uh, So we then back to organizing your day in a particular way. I would even argue that you need to organize your week in a particular way. You need to schedule your week in certain ways so that you can attend to, to um, those different types of work. Um, yeah. I'll make an article available which is quite interesting. It's called the, the. it's about the difference between a maker schedule and a manager schedule. And if you're a maker of things, it, you perhaps you're a software developer or you write reports or you work long hours on really complex Excel models or, you know, stuff like that. You have to, you, you, interruption is, is a killer because if you're interrupted at a critical moment, when you're working something out, you can lose up to 30 minutes of focused effort. And so your day can be incredibly frustrated. uh, If, if you're interrupted in the middle of doing something like that. A manager schedule is uh, lots of meeting, lots of email. Uh, 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 in that sense, a manager doesn't really do very deep work, or, or, or relatively more rarely. And so that again needs to be factored in. When is it the best time for me to do that running around type work? Mm. Um, so so critical to organize around the type of work that that you have to do and allocate the, the type of quality time that's required for the work.
0: I want to pick up on that. Two things that you said there, the weekly focus and the allocation of time. So I've had most success in being productive and having that real strong sense of motivation and progress against the work that I've got when I have implemented a weekly planning process, number one. So sitting down over a cup of coffee on a Monday morning and asking myself, okay, what are the three or four most important things I need to achieve this week? Then allocating time to them. When am I going to put the time in to do those three things? Well, it's going to be Tuesday afternoon between three and five or it's going to be Thursday morning between eight and ten. And putting that time in my calendar so people can't claim it for meetings, they can't just come and steal away that that time for some random team meeting that I may or may not need to be at.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Those two things around when you talk about allocating time, we are talking about actually allocating time, right, Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. calendar, That can't be just stolen by somebody else, not just conceptually thinking, I'll do that Tuesday, but leaving my diary open on a Tuesday for anyone to come along and grab an hour. Is that right? Yeah, and that reminds me of the story of the time
1: management professor, and uh, he comes to doing that and everybody during the day has taken more time than they were allocated and he's only got five minutes and so he's got to make up something really impactful for the five minutes he has. And so he brings a a bucket and puts a bucket on the table. Um, And then he fills the bucket with with stones that he's got in a bag next to his desk. And then he asks the people, well, is that bucket full? And people say, oh, yes, it's full. Clearly, it's full. It's full of stones. and And then he says, "Well, all right, and then he pulls a bag of gravel from under his desk, and he pours the gravel into the bucket, and of course, there's a lot of space in the bucket for the gravel and so then he asks the audience, you know well, is the bucket full and now they're not so sure, so the better half of the class says, "'Oh, yeah, it's full, you know, clearly it's full, But the other half says, "'Oh well, I'm not sure, we don't really quite know, maybe it's not actually full." And so he said, well, you're right. And then he pulls a bag of sand from under the desk and then he pours the sand. And of course there's, there's still room between the gravel. So the sand fills in. And then he asks them now, is it full? And then everybody in one voice says, yes, absolutely. You can't put anything else in that thing. And so of course he pulls a bucket of water from under his desk and pours it in. And, and yet of course there's more room for water. Um, and then he says, well, you know, I hope that demonstrates something. What do you think it demonstrates? And there's a guy front row, you know, really eager that stands up. Says, it demonstrates that when we think our diaries are full, in fact, they're not full. We can always add more to it. And the professor looks at him and says, no, that's not what it demonstrates. What it demonstrates is that if, We hadn't put the stones in first there's no way we would have been able to put them in at the end in other words if you don't schedule in your diary the most important things to you and your effectiveness as a professional they will never go in after all the trivial
0: stuff has been scheduled in that is a wonderful story to end this little podcast on. Thanks very much, Francois. Um, really enjoyed that. And um, we'll look forward to some of the materials that you're going to share with this as well. Thank you. Thank you.